1: When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And there are perks to being a crew member. Just keep listening to the program to find out what the latest perk is. And, of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to post office box 508 508- Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. We loved making it. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. Here we go. It's time... For another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, March 28th, 2012. Experiencing the joys of allergy medicine. Wow. Ay, ay, ay. Yeah, with the early spring, it's gonna be a pollen filled next few months. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, and help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's, there's no shortage of really, really bizarre off-topic, non-true things that are being said about God. And the funny thing is, is that it's being said by very popular pastors and teachers and and people who've got mega churches and book deals and speak at conferences and things like that. But over and again, when you take the time to take the things that they're saying put it back into biblical context to see if that's really what God communicated to us in your in his word well we find over and again that well God didn't say those things and the it, things are off and my fear is is that there's a lot of folk out there who are being schnookered who are being taken advantage of, using the King James English, they're being made merchandise of, great great way of putting it, by, well, false teachers who have discovered that they can make a lot of money, a lot of money, by scratching itching ears, making up their own doctrines, making it sound Christian enough that it passes muster with people who, for the most part, are biblically illiterate. They don't understand what the story of Scripture is. Why? Because they don't really ever read it to understand what God intended to communicate. Over and again, they make themselves the, the chief interpreters of Scripture based upon subjectively how it applies to them. I mean, how many times have you sat in a small group study where somebody has said, Oh, that's a great verse! What does that verse mean to you and then thirty minutes of discussion ensues with people explaining what that verse means to them. But the important question the, the really the one that should be answered is what does it mean is never answered because the subjectivizing theological ego is the is the thing that governs the text rather than what. God the Holy Spirit communicated. So we here at Fighting for the Faith call people back to a reading of the text that says, no, no, let's put this back in context and understand the passage is probably not about you. It's probably about Jesus. Why? Because Jesus himself made it clear that all of Scripture is about him. I think of uh, the time when he confronted the Jews and... He said to them, you diligently search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. Yet these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me to have life. or on the road to Emmaus, Jesus opens up the law and the prophets and teaches them everything there concerning himself. See, the the scriptures are really about Jesus and what he's done for us. The reason why the biblical text is written is to communicate really ultimately good news. Good news that there's hope and salvation offered to us by our good and gracious and loving God, who was not content to just take all of humanity and cast them into the lake of fire like they deserve, but instead has loved man so much that he would take on flesh and die for our sins and call us to repentance and the forgiveness of our sins and letting us know that we can be reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not holding men's trespasses against them. This is good news that we're called to proclaim, but somehow we've gotten distracted by the temporal problems of the world as if somehow christianity's all about applying particular principles giving a particular amount of money or doing the right things in order to earn from god relief for our temporal sufferings setbacks illnesses sicknesses and things like that you know and the thing is is that all of those are the consequences of our sin you know i here i am in my mid 40s and already there are people who, you know, who I've known since I was a kid who are suffering severely with medical setbacks, medical problems. I think of my own brother, um, whom, by the way, if uh, if I can ask again for your prayers, uh, my brother, um, they've discovered another tumor in his brain, and uh, he's uh, gone this time to the City of Hope in Duarte, California. He resides in Florida, but he flew all the way out to the City of Hope to have them look at what was going on. And they've determined that uh, he he has he has another tumor. It's stage 3 cancer. He will be going in for another craniotomy. He had you know, open up his brain. And they're going to be removing not only the tumor, but part of his left frontal lobe of his brain. And so that's coming up within the next few weeks. Um, we're still a couple of weeks out from his surgery. And so, you know, I, I think of my own brother here, who is three years younger than I am. And, uh, and you know, already we're coming to grips with the fact that he's got a very, very serious, serious medical condition. That, uh, that you know, the surgery could result in him losing something of, of himself and his abilities. Um, and you know, truth be told, uh, there's really good chance that, um, ultimately this is going to result in a shortening of his life. And the thing is, is that my brother is not alone. There's a whole, we all are facing problems like this. If not today, then just give it time things are going to stop working on your body the way they've worked in the past it could be your memory it you know you can be you can suffer from a chronic illness where you have pain on a regular basis and see what happens is is that all of us in one way or another feel the effects of sin and the curse on our life and things get so bad And people become so desperate, they turn to God. But unfortunately, there's a whole group of people out there who are making merchandise knowing that there's people who are new to this suffering who are looking for answers and they're willing to sell them magic beans in order to solve their problems and say, oh, don't worry, God will cure you right up All you need to do is plant a $1,000 seed offering into my ministry, and God will save you. God will give you a reprieve to your health setbacks. And then the cruel part of that is is that people learn the hard way that miracles are not bought. They are not earned that way, and that God is sovereign. Sovereign. Some he heals, others he doesn't. Some people will have to languish in their suffering and ultimately die a sad and cruel and painful death. And it doesn't sound all that great, does it? But that's the reality of the world that we live in because of our sin. Each and every one of us has earned the wages of our sin and the wages of our sin is death. So the good news that Christians are called to proclaim is one that says that God is reconciled to us through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't promise you temporal, temporal, temporal fixes for the effects of sin in your life. That's not a guaranteed promise, but he does promise this. Those who are in him will on the last day rise again from the dead. Those who are in him have already died because Christ has died and risen from the grave. And he promises us that our sins are forgiven and that we're reconciled to God and he will save us not by removing the curse, but by becoming a curse for us. And by faith and trust in him, he will pull us through. And this is our hope. This is our salvation. And this is the gospel that we are to proclaim. Because if, well, I think it was Peter who talked about it in these terms that if if our hope in Christ is really only for this world only, then, you know, we're to be pitied. You know, I mean, our hope is not for things temporal, the human life. The human lifespan is but a breath. I mean, it seems here I am in my mid 40s and it seems like yesterday I was 18 years old and graduating from high school and it seems like the day before yesterday I was in junior high. Tomorrow I'm going to blink turn around and I'm going to be in my 60s. It's it goes that quickly. So the reality is is that I really don't need a temporal solution because temporal is so fleeting and so quick. What I really need is an eternal solution because my real problem is not that I suffer in this lifetime. My real problem is is that my suffering is a result of my personal sin and rebellion against God, my participation in rebelling against God. That's what I've earned. That's what I've deserved what i the real problem that we all have to come to grips with is not that we have burps, hiccups, hang-ups, you know, slips and oopsies here in this life. No, no. The real problem that we have is that we've all earned God's wrath because of our sinfulness. If you if in fact if you ain't got a problem that's going to help me with that problem. You ain't got a solution that's going to help me with that problem. You ain't got a solution. Because i mean i can only stretch this life out for so long my body's only going to hold out for so long and then I'm going to enter eternity and I'm either going to enter eternity in God's favor or under his wrath and the truth of the matter is is that there's no good there's no amount of good works that I could possibly do no amount of hurdles or quid pro quos or this for that or wages that I could somehow try to rack up in the spiritual righteousness brownie point category that can undo and make right and pay for the debt that I've incurred as a result of my sin, and neither can you. So ultimately, if we haven't got a good news that tells us that God loves us because of what Christ has done for us and that he offers us forgiveness, redemption, pardon and reconciliation solely on account of Christ, then we really haven't got good news, have we? But See, that's the message that's being lost. That's the message that's getting sidetracked. That's the message that's being put away as being irrelevant, not really being applicable. It doesn't really help people to, you know, to experience abundance and and good things now. But that's really the message that we're called to proclaim because now... Well, now is almost over, isn't it? Now is almost done. Now is going to give way to eternity. And now is very temporal, very fleeting, very short. Now is no place to focus. Then is what we need to focus on. All right. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Good night. Um, okay, let's see here. Um, I've got a weird news story um, about a youth group meeting that w- where um, well they staged an abduction. Just weird stuff makes you wonder what is going on there. I've got a TD Jakes update. I, I've got a gratuitous news story that I've got to get to. It has nothing to do with theology. Um, it has to do with James Cameron. Uh, recently uh, taking his brand-new submarine to the bottom of the Mariana uh, Mariana Trench. Uh, So I've got to do a quick update there. Um, I will be mentioning this. In fact, let me just mention this in in passing right now. There is a lot, a lot of news regarding Mark Driscoll, Acts 29, and Mars Hill Church in Seattle in the blogosphere right now. I mean... There, there's rumblings and grumblings, and and there's some pretty major tectonic shifts that are taking place, and I'm fully aware of them, fully aware of them. Um, uh, a former pastor at Mars Hill who w- w- basically was brought up on charges and fired from his position for not being loyal to uh, to Pastor Mark back in 2005 back in 2005 he's written a blog post and uh, and really con, you know conveyed what happened to him at Mars Hill and that story i got to tell you it's 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 disheartening it's a very tragic and sad story one that is is very serious and um i'm in the process of working on you know putting together a, what i would consider a very beneficial radio segment addressing that issue but right on the on the heels of that story breaking on the blogosphere uh the phoenix preacher at phoenixpreacher.net um he has released kind of an an insider acts 29 email that um that just went out um that basically announcing is announcing that uh, Mark Driscoll is resigning, ha- ha- actually has already resigned as the president and leader of the Acts 29 Church Planting Network, and that um, Matt Chandler will be assuming uh, the the leadership roles of the uh, Acts 29 Church Planters Network, and uh, and so I mean there's there's some big things afoot. However, I'm not prepared to talk about them quite yet um, because all of this stuff really early in the process is what I'm saying is that there's there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of questions that are being asked about the changes in what's taking place, and obviously one of the questions that is arising is, is Mark Driscoll's resignation as the head of the Acts 29 church planting network anyway related to the story that broke late last week? Um, or at least that I I came across it late last week. Um, re- regarding this former pastor, uh, and his posting of this you know, of what's gone on there, because when when you read that man's story, um, it's clear that there's an abuse of power. That you know, listen, I explained it to uh, a a fellow earlier this week this way, and that is is that in throughout church history, there have been. Different heresies that address different aspects of biblical theology. Okay, um, you you would think about the uh, the the Judaizing heresy and its uh, rejection. ...of the the biblical doctrine that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. that That's one heresy. You could talk about the Marcionite heresy, which denies that certain pieces of Scripture are actually Scripture. So it, it cherry-picks which... Which pieces of scripture are scripture? Then you can think of some of the Christological heresies that have taken place in church history, uh, the the heresy of the Arians that uh, that Jesus was is not God by nature, but is a created being. Or you can, you know, you you could talk about uh, Christological heresies in the sense of the nature of Christ, or like the Nestorian heresy that that chops Jesus up into two pieces, uh, you know, the God part and the man part. Yeah. You know, so you, you or you can talk about the Eutychian heresy that commingles them in such a way that, you know, it it doesn't that doesn't make any sense either. You know So there's all kinds of different heresies that have been out there. I think it is—one uh, could argue, and I think argue a very compelling case, that in our time, we are experiencing an ecclesiastical heresy. A heresy that that basically denies what Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, have us revealed is to be the leadership, pastoral—the uh, the, the role of pastors and teachers in the church— um, we've replaced the pastoral office and ministry, you know, true biblical ministry, with this brand new leadership model, and, um, and this I think might explain why men like Mark Driscoll, in my mind, it's like it's like Forrest Gump's proverbial box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. There's certain things that Driscoll has said and done that I sit there and go, amen, amen, amen. That's great stuff. But then there's other stuff that Driscoll has said and done that makes me just go, what is going on there? And it may be what we're dealing with here is an ecclesiastical heresy, a heresy that denies and basically offers a substitute pastoral model that is not biblical not what christ has intended and that there are pretty severe consequences to their unbiblical pastoral model that may be what we're looking at here so anyway i, I want to let you know i'm aware of it I am working on an upcoming edition of Fighting for the Faith. We'll tackle this kind of straight up and head on. So, uh, you know, I thank you for the folks who've been posting the links on my uh, on my Facebook wall uh, to this stuff. I am fully aware of it, and we will be addressing it in a forthcoming edition of Fighting for the Faith. The other thing we're going to do in the first hour is uh, we're going to be listening to Rick Warren uh, give an update on his News and Views um, email that he sends out to the folks at Saddleback, and him giving an update uh, as to what happened in his recent trip to Rwanda. And I'm just going to, you know, kind of in the vein of the ecclesiastical heresy argument that I'm trying to put out there, basically ask the question, what does any of this have to do with the job of a pastor? Uh, We'll listen to Rick Warren give his update, and I'm just going to ask, I mean— what on earth does this have to do with what a pastor is supposed to do? I, I, don't, I don't get it. So, um, And then in hour number two, we're going to be doing a, a, a sermon review. Let's see, this is from Keystone Church in Keller, Texas. Um, Plan B, Death of Plan A, is the name of the sermon review. And this is an interesting sermon. And the reason why is because in it, the, the pastor who's preaching the sermon talks about the gospel and uses gospel language. But he changes its meaning and what it's all about, so it's fascinating to listen to. So you're not going to want to miss that. So we're going to just dive into the program proper today. And what I'll go ahead and do is I'll do my gratuitous story first here. So let's uh, let's do this from the uh, National Geographic News website daily news at national geographic headline reads james cameron completes record breaking mariana tre- trench dive yeah this is so funny that this is in the news right now because those of you who are familiar with the you know the 11 what is it the 11 b oh the 11 attitudes of becoming sermon review that I did a while ago from Keith Craft uh, from you know, the cathedral of Frisco um he you know he talked about the um Mariana trench sort of kind of so every time I read stories that have anything to do with the Mariana the Mariana trench which he had a different name for it but uh let me read a little just a little bit of the story again this has nothing to do with theology this is just a gratuitous flashback to a previous edition of Fighting for the Faith. Um, K- uh, Than for the National Geographic News Service writes, he says, at noon local time, 11 p.m. Eastern time, James Cameron's vertical torpedo sub broke the surface of the Western Pacific, carrying the National Geographic explorer and filmmaker back from the Mariana uh, Trench's Challenger Deep, Earth's deepest and perhaps most alien realm, the first human to reach the 6.8-mile-deep, 11-kilometer-deep undersea valley Solo, that would be uh, Cameron, uh, arrived at the bottom with the tech t- technology to collect scientific data, specimens, and visions, uh, which were unthinkable in 1960 when the only other manned Challenger deep dive took place, according to members of the National Geographic Expedition. After a faster-than-expected, roughly 70-minute ascent, Cameron's sub, bobbing in the o- open ocean, was spotted by helicopter and would soon be plucked from the Pacific by a research ship. Uh, uh, that from their crane earlier, the descent to the Challenger Deep was taken uh, had taken two hours and thirty six minutes. So, yeah, there you go. James Cameron, the filmmaker, uh, also famous for the Titanic, uh, made a uh, basically a record breaking solo trip down to the bottom of the Mariana. Trench, which Keith Kraft lovingly refers to as the Mariachi Trench, and we actually have audio of uh, what it is that James Cameron heard at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. Here it is. These are the sounds of the Mariachi Trench. Now, keep in mind, the Mariachi Trench is 11 kilometers deep, and 11 is a very, very bad, evil number. So we could say that Cameron, James Cameron, plunged to the depths of hell itself. And this is the music that he was greeted with. Enough of that. I just I had to do it. I had to do. Yeah, I know it's it was a little bit on the gratuitous side. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I just you know Keith Craft, the uh, the gift that keeps on giving. If it wasn't for him, we would not be blessed with the the sounds of the mariachi trench. So alright, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's Facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. We'll be right back.
0: Broadcasting from his mother's basement, while in a beanbag, eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs>
2: customer service this is josh how can i help you today yes i would like to return the jesus i received from you i heard there was a 60 day return policy yes sir there is but can i ask you why you want to return jesus well i was told if i received jesus he'd fix all my problems and quite honestly i'm not satisfied with this jesus sir what is your jesus doing right now nothing he just sits there have you taken time to feed your Jesus? Well, I went to church for the preaching, but nothing has happened. Sir, if you read the fine print on the warranty, you'll see that you are responsible for feeding, not the church or the pastor. Oh. Well, can I exchange this Jesus for another? Sir, what kind of Jesus are you looking for? I need the Jesus that forgives sins. You know, changes your life on the inside, helps you overcome the sins of the flesh, Never leaves me nor forsakes me, and will take me to heaven when I die. Oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't stock that Jesus here. You'll have to go somewhere else to have that Jesus. Well, I guess I'll just stick with the one I got since I already opened the box. Wonderful, sir. Can I interest you in getting Jesus for your friends and family? Why would I do that?
1: Right, we're back. Uh, warning: If your pastor is more like a politician than a pastor. Uh, He's probably not doing his pastoral work. He's acting more like a leader, the German word Führer, rather than a pastor. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 Every month of the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith in Pirate Christian Radio. And if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. And then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, uh, moving along here. Um, this is from WHPTV, um, a CBS affiliate. And a weird, bizarre, really b- bizarre story of something that took place in a youth group. Um, here, listen in.
3: Dauphin County District Attorney's Office is stepping in to investigate a staged abduction that shook up a church youth group. It happened in Lower Swadera Township with masked men storming into a class. CBS 21's Kirk Wilson joins us live with the Dauphin County Mobile Newsroom
4: in Harrisburg with more. Kirk. Rob, leaders of the Glad Tidings Assembly of Guard Church say that the faked abduction was staged to teach the youth about religious persecution.
1: One- uh huh, okay. Um, by the way, this is in uh, Pennsylvania, Dolphin County, Pennsylvania. So a staged abduction to simulate persecution.
4: One seventh grade girl was so traumatized, her mother called the police. And today, the Dolphin County District Attorney's Office
5: entered the investigation. To the extent that uh, these kids were uh, scared when there were uh, guns and evidence, including what appeared to be assault rifles, uh, it's a serious business, and uh, uh, I can understand.
1: They used assault rifles for a staged persecution-slash-abduction? Huh.
5: Why uh, the children would have been uh, extremely scared, and we're taking it very, very seriously.
4: According to reports, a group of masked men stormed a youth group meeting, ordered about a dozen students to the ground, bound and blindfolded them, drove them a short distance before ending the acting. Do these actions reach the level of criminal prosecution?
5: Potentially, we're talking about uh, false imprisonment. Uh, If there was not consent uh, to be taken uh, and held against their will and moved... Uh, a felony crime of uh, of false imprisonment because they are uh, under the age of 18 could apply as well as other offenses such as simple assault by physical menace and the like.
4: A youth leader says the intent was not to horrify the children. While the pastor says he'll continue... Yeah, I, I think that assault rifles would horrify anybody. continue with such exercises because the lesson to learn is so important. But in the future, he says, he will first notify the parents. Reporting live with the Dauphin County Mobile Newsroom in Harrisburg, I'm Kirk Wilson, CBS 21 News.
1: Okay, so, yeah, strange thing there. Uh, staged... Um, persecution and abduction. Now, okay, here's the deal. Jesus himself promised that if we're really truly his followers, we're going to be persecuted. That's just how it goes down. So, rather than getting out the family assault rifles and staging an abduction and even going through all the trouble of getting parental consent by the way if a pastor were to come to me and say hey chris we got this great idea we you know we we're, we're going to take the, uh, the the teens in church and we're going to stage an abduction using assault rifles and things i would i would say no absolutely not cuz here's the deal we don't need to stage christian persecution this is absolutely a fact in fact your teenagers are probably already experiencing forms of persecution for their faith in the schools that they attend, with the people that they hang around. And if you really want them to experience persecution, take them out street preaching. Take them to a place you to help them go out and share their faith in public or something to that effect. I guarantee you they will begin to get an idea of just how... Um, at war people are by nature with God and how proclaiming the biblical gospel repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus name could lead to all kinds of trouble and real persecution. So rather than staging it, why don't you take, take the gospel out in such a way where it's easy for them to see what persecution is like firsthand, not staged persecution but real persecution. I'm just saying, moving along... our Prosperity Preacher update music at least one of the songs we use We go. That's uh, "Money" by Pink Floyd from the Dark Side of the Moon album. Um, which I think you know the the lyrics here kind of get to the part the heart of what it is we want to talk about today. Uh, <clears> T.D. <throat> Jakes, the famous De Trinitarian modalist, who who expresses his belief in the Trinity using modalistic phrases um who was never confronted with this prosperity heresy in elephant room 2 but was embraced as a christian brother he's uh currently preaching about his brand new book and you know making all the rounds promoting his latest book that's supposedly all about forgiveness and 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 things of that nature but the funny thing is is that when we listen to well why christians need to forgive Something just sounds well off. So, uh, he, by the way, um, is the pastor at the Potter's House in Dallas, Texas. And uh, recently, um, well, he preached on this topic of forgiveness. See if you can spot the problem here um, as to why it is we supposedly need to forgive. Here's T.D.
0: Jakes. The only way you can get... The future breath of what you do need is to let go.
1: Uh, what? The only way to get the future breath is to let go?
0: Of what you don't. Touch everybody you can We say, let it go, let it go, let it go.
1: So let it go so that I can get the future breath. Your life depends on it.
0: Your future depends on it. Your destiny depends
1: on it. Your life, your future, your destiny depends on... Huh? Your miracle
0: depends on it. My miracle? Your children depend on it. My children? Everything God promised you depends on your ability to let it go. If you hold on to...
1: So, oh, I see. I, I, I need to let it go for selfish reasons i see yeah so so this is a formula okay i got it so i so by forgiving people by letting it go (laughs) i can achieve my destiny i can achieve my dream and my children can have an amazing destiny and dream too all of this so this is a selfish reason why i need to forgive i got it okay
0: stuff you choke if you release stuff you can keep breathing what are you talking about, T.D. We've been to Africa. We've been to Israel. We've taken a biology class. What in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about life is going to hand you something every day. Take in what you can get out of it. Let go of what you can't get out of it. Take in what you can get out of it.
1: And he's kind of marching forward, showing that you can progress in, in achieving your grand dream and vision for your life by letting go see the see the so the reason why you <clears throat> forgive is so that you can achieve greatness
0: let go of what you can't get out of it but don't let anybody hurt you so bad that you choke.
1: yeah you don't want to choke you know, you know. yeah yeah because if somebody hurts you bad and then you know you don't let go of it well then you're going to choke on your way to your big dream and destiny
0: Your neighbor say you ain't choking me i don't care what you did i don't care how bad it hurt i don't care how crazy it is i'm not gonna hold on to what happened between me and you forgetting those things which are behind and reaching to those things which are before
1: mm, yeah that's not what paul was referring to in the book of philippians
0: by the way I'm rest toward the mark of the prize of the High calling, and whatever happens, I'll get out of it when I can get out of it, and I will let the rest of it
1: Yeah, notice the um, sappy music there, the organ music in the background. He's This is a pep talk. So here's the deal. Does the Bible teach That you need to forgive, you know, let go of things from the past so that you don't choke on your way to your destiny. Or does the Bible give a different reason for you forgiving? These are very important questions to be asking. Um, in fact, let's do this. Let's take a look at a biblical teaching from Jesus. See if 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 Jesus, in talking about the idea of forgiveness, gives as a reason for it, so that you don't choke on your way to greatness and things like that. Matthew chapter eighteen. Um, Matthew chapter eighteen, uh, verse twenty one. Uh, Peter came to Jesus and said to him, "Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him?" As many as seven times, Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Think to yourself, a bazillion dollars, okay, 10,000 talents, a talent is a 100 pounds, so um, 10,000 talents is 10,000 times 100 pounds, and think of it as gold, if you would. it is a lot of money, okay? How somebody can rack up a debt like this is beyond me. But anyway, since he could not pay, yeah, it goes without saying, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, "'Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything.'" And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. By the way, by doing that, the king then incurs the debt upon himself, right? But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him. Say no to choke. uh, began to choke him, saying, "Pay what you owe." huh. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked Servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? That's the key phrase. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also, my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What's the reason we forgive? What's the reason that Christians forgive? Answer, because we're forgiven. The reason I forgive people when they sin against me is because... Their sin against me is so minuscule compared to the sin that I have sinned against God. Not just what I've sinned against Him, but that Christ bled for, died, and forgave so freely, and with so costly a price, the very blood of the Son of God. How could I not then forgive others? has nothing to do with forgiving because somehow forgiving people is the thing I need to do in order to earn from God a big dream or a huge vision for my life or financial blessings or things like that. That's 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 ridiculous. It's not as if forgiveness is somehow the missing secret ingredient for me achieving some grand vision for my life. In fact, If that's your reason for forgiving people is so that you don't choke on your way to greatness, you don't understand forgiveness at all from a biblical point of view whatsoever. The reason why we forgive as Christians is because we have received such amazing, bountiful, overflowing mercy from our great God and Savior. You can't pay the debt that you owe God, neither can I. It's impossible for you to do it. But the debt was absorbed and taken care of by Christ on the cross when he bled and died for you and for me. How then can we not forgive others when they sin against us because their sin amounts to nothing compared to the sin that we've committed against God and has been forgiven by Christ? We forgive Because we've been forgiven. We don't forgive because by forgiving we earn a big dream or blessings or things like that. What T.D. Jakes is preaching is, well, a twisted form of forgiveness based on the ideas of the prosperity heresy. Doesn't sound like Christian doctrine to me. Purpose, it keeps you
4: going strong like a car with a full tank of gas. Everyone else has a purpose So what's mine Oh look, here's a penny It's from the year I was born It's a sign
1: Time for a Rick Warren update
4: I don't know
1: how I know But I For it's too late. Yeah. Not that this has anything to do with Christian theology. Okay, so this is uh, Pastor Rick Warren. This is audio from a video that was, uh, well, sent out yesterday uh, via the News and Views email uh, that uh, Pastor Rick sends out to folks uh, there at Saddleback and people on his mailing list. And he's giving a rundown of uh, the things that were accomplished last week in Africa, in Rwanda, and my question is, what does this have to do with the pastoral ministry? What does this have to do with the Great Commission? This sounds, well, like a praise report, but the things that were being, uh, are being reported sound like they're off topic, sound like they're off mission, if you would. Now, Here's Rick Warren.
6: Hi everybody and welcome to News and Views for March 27, 2012. I am so glad to be back home. You know I've been overseas. Uh, uh, We have been in Rwanda for uh, about nine days and I want to tell you I'm more excited about uh, Purpose Driven and the Peace Plan than I've ever been because Purpose Driven and the Peace Plan. I saw an amazing result and I'm watching an entire nation being transformed because of you, Saddleback Church. Because of your commitment to the peace plan, amazing. Because of their commitment to
1: the peace plan? Not their commitment to the Great Commission, but the commitments of the peace plan.
6: Things are happening in Rwanda. Did you know that in the last five years, we've been there now about eight years. In the last five years, one million people are no longer in poverty. That's 10% of the nation.
1: Well, that's great um how many of those one million have been brought to repentance of their sins and faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins y- 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 remember um the world's you know life here on this planet's kind of temporary, so I- I'm glad you set them free from poverty yeah, that's great news, great, great, great news. Now they have a good, firm middle class there in Rwanda. But is the middle class in Rwanda comprised of, well,
6: basically middle class people who are on their way to hell? Uh, That's in the nation of Rwanda. Ten million people. One million people have come out of poverty since the peace plan started there. The president was flat out overjoyed. I spent two days with the president's advisory council, which I serve on. I spoke to a national prayer breakfast to about 400 of the leading government leaders. There was great enthusiasm. In fact, they've asked me to train their leadership. I had private meetings with the, uh, the president of the Central Bank.
1: The, 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 you know, that's
6: great. Um,
1: maybe you should resign your position as pastor of Saddleback and go into Rwandan politics then. Sounds like you might be really good at it. Um, but what does this have to do
6: with the pastoral ministry? and the Great Commission. Bank, the governor of the Central Bank and the prime minister, of course, with the president. Uh, and these men have asked me to do leadership training uh, for that nation with the government because they've seen what's happened with our pastors. You know, we began training pastors in Rwanda a number of years ago. That's the first step. We start with equip servant leaders and and, uh, and uh, promote reconciliation. The peace- Promote reconciliation. What does that mean exactly? E in the E of peace. And we now have over 2,300 pastors in this small country of Rwanda who... Yeah, but what are they preaching? What does it mean to
1: promote reconciliation? Are they proclaiming repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name to the folks there in Rwanda? Or are they promoting reconciliation? I, I, I personally see those things as two competing messages. One is the message that Christ has called us to proclaim. Promoting reconciliation is vague um, and doesn't, I mean, yeah, you're using a biblical word, reconciliation, but somehow the way you're using it doesn't make me think that you're using that word the way,
6: well, Second Corinthians uses it. You know, something's off here. Gone through three solid years of training. And that is an amazing fact. I did two graduations, one in the south, one in the north, for about 90 in the south and about 80 in the north of these pastors who had gone through, finished three years of training. And these uh, people are so excited about, uh, you know, building the class system, about doing the peace plan. So the pastors are excited
1: about building the class system. Shouldn't they be excited about preaching the word? administering the sacraments, proclaiming Christ and Him crucified for our sins, preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. You know, things like that. Building the class system.
6: That's what those pastors are excited about and they are reaching out in their community and they are changing that nation. We're watching that nation. We're watching it literally change before our eyes. We also, while we were there, graduated about 3,000 of our healthcare workers, which you know we've been doing this project in Karanji where we took members of churches, trained them, they trained others, they trained others. We now, in just two years, have over 3,000 of these trained. Each of these community Peace servants visit seven families a week. And they go out and they visit and they do health care and they take care. This is in a, in a region that had uh, very little uh, medical uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, only a few doctors and nurses and stuff like that. And we're going into villages that have never had a doctor. And the church is providing health care because of the peace plan.
1: The church is providing health care because of the peace plan. Okay. Uh, now listen, I you know I'm not against medical infrastructure. That's a great way to love and serve your neighbor. Um, I just don't see healthcare as something that the church is commissioned to focus on. You understand what I'm saying here? We're ministry of word and sacrament i i have no problem with christians saying hey i've decided to love and serve my neighbor in the vocation of 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 doctor or nurse or medical practitioner those are great things to do but the uh, something's odd here
6: the president of rwanda asked me to personally thank those of you over a thousand saddleback members have gone to rwanda can you imagine that over a 1,000 of you have served in Rwanda, and I see your handprints and, and impact literally everywhere in the business sector, in the farming sector, in the health sector, in the government sector, and of course, in the church, because everything we do is in and through the church. We uh, saw a number of new projects that we're starting, including uh, uh, training, setting up preschools in uh, in uh, uh, churches uh, uh, a project on helping people learn to do savings together you know 90 plus percent of rwandans have never had a bank account and we're helping them set up savings accounts between each other in the church where they pool their money and they help each other out and they're serving each other and the return on the investment is about 50 percent so these are not individual savings accounts they're pooled savings accounts ...these people helping themselves and helping each other. We saw projects on helping farmers double the value of the little land that they've got so that the crops is twice as productive. I want you to know that the church reputation in Rwanda, it just continues to climb. There were uh, newscasts about uh, the peace plan practically every day we were there. I did a final uh, press conference with uh, about 20 different reporters... Uh, it, it was just an amazing week, and it made me so grateful to you, Saddleback Church, for your commitment to the peace plan. You know, we told uh, the Rwandans about our next goal. Now that we've gone to every nation, we're now going to go to the 3,800 unengaged people groups, these small tribes that don't have a, uh, any church in it between now and the end of the decade. Why? Because our church takes seriously the Great Commission.
1: Okay, yeah, you can say you take the Great Commission seriously, but uh, how many people were brought to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins? Um, it's, uh, the, the, you're, you're talking about the peace plan as if somehow the peace plan is synonymous with the Great Commission, and based on what you're saying, I, I think the two may be competing with each other.
6: 400 of those tribes are actually in the nation of Sudan. That's right next door. It's a near neighbor to Rwanda. And so now Rwanda has volunteered to start taking in their trained people into Sudan to plant churches and equip leaders and assist the poor and care for the sick and educate the next generation. It is Yeah, so
1: they're going to send leaders from Rwanda to Sudan to um, get busy with the peace plan. Man, it um so there you go. I mean, there's the the latest peace plan update from Rick Warren and um I um don't know if I really should be happy about these statistics. Um it sounds like they're being successful heading off in the wrong direction. Um this sounds like a competing agenda to the Great Commission. Um, not really what the Great Commission is all about. So, I, yeah, I'm nation building. Apparently, is now the the the, the on the docket for uh, Christian churches. They got to get out there and nation build, build infrastructure and things like that. Um, yeah, this sounds like a confusion of the uh, two kingdoms, and uh, I, it has me wondering if people are not being so distracted by the peace plan that they're forgetting that the job the job of the church is to go out and to proclaim repentance. And the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, even to Rwanda. <clears throat> All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to uh, email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Sermon review on the other side of the break. We'll be right back.
5: We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith.
1: Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheat. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of fighting for the faith sermon review time. Okay, let me get my notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating sermon. Let's uh, do this right, though. Hang on.
2: The good, the bad,
1: and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. <laughs> Changing that It doesn't sound any better. Today's sermon is entitled... Well, the sermon series is entitled Plan B. The name of this sermon is Death of Plan A.
0: I didn't
1: know the Bible talked about either plan A or plan B. This is from Keystone Church, Keller, Texas, and the man preaching the sermon is entitled Brandon Thomas. I don't think we've done too many Brandon Thomas sermons, (sighs) but anyway, let me warn you. You're going to hear something that sounds like the gospel in this sermon. At least it'll use gospel language. The problem? The, the definitions and the details matter. Y- you will know if you've heard the gospel if you are brought to repentance of your sins and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. The gospel has something to do with Jesus dying for sins. That's all I'm saying it's not like I know anything anyway. I mean, it's not like the Bible says it in 1 Corinthians 15 or something like that, but you get what I'm saying. So, <clears throat> without any further ado, let me kill the music here. Here is uh, the sermon series, Death uh, Plan B. This is the sermon, Death of Plan A. Now, I haven't listened to the whole thing, so maybe he'll end up on the gospel itself, the real one. But listen to what he does with the gospel here partway through the sermon. Here we go. Here's Brandon Thomas.
3: Let's give it up for Michelle sharing her story. That's right. And while we're at it, let's give it up for those that are in the overflow. I'm talking to you right now. Let me tell you something, they're rocking out there. I was just singing with them, and, man, it's loud out there. We're having a good time. We're having a good time to overflow. But uh, let me ask you a question. How do you love life when life is not loving you back? How do you do that? How do you love life when it seems that life is not loving you back or even... Okay, th- this is apparently where you're pitching the
1: problem that the sermon supposed to fix so the apparently the problem here is that how do you i'm I'm having a problem loving life man
3: because life isn't loving me back uh okay or it feels like that life is conspiring to defeat you what do you do when it seems like your plan a is doa dead on arrival What do you do? What do you do when your hopes and your dreams and your aspirations feel like they're just crumbling to the ground? I mean, that. So this is what Christianity is all about? This is what,
1: you know, know, the, the ancient secret of Christianity is? Not that Christianity has any secrets, but
3: you get what I'm saying here? That is the real question for this series. That's why this series is already the most repeated, retweeted series that we've ever done. It is on the heart of all of us cuz each one of us have felt the pangs of a dream dying, of a plan a being defeated. Well, the Bible is crystal clear. This is kind of The, the Bible's crystal
1: clear about what to do when you've suffering the pangs of having a dream be, well, defeated and dying. Oh man.
3: One of our crown jewel for this entire series, Jeremiah 29 starting in no no
1: <sighs> the crown jewel of all of scripture Jeremiah 29:11 I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you totally taken out of context i mean I, I mean seriously if i had like 10 bucks for every time i heard a pastor preach on this sermon or that verse out of context
3: i would be a gazillionaire verse 10 it says this is what the lord says you will be in babylon for 70 years see god god is not shy about the reality of pain this is not the glass jaw of christianity this is not the qu- oh, man. no context
1: no historical context nothing just you know just rip this verse out of
3: context i'm not going to babylon question that we avoid at all costs god is honest he says to them you're not, you will not be home. You will be in a foreign land. You will be in prison for 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. I will bring you home again. And then verse 11 is kind of like it. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, not for disaster. His heart is for you to prosper, to give you a future and a hope. That's the heart of this church, and my passion is that wherever you come from, where, whatever walk in life you may be in, our passion, our deep, overriding passion is that you would leave but first believe. When you leave this place, that you would be leaving believing that God actually has a plan for you. And you may not be on plan B. You may be on plan C, D, E, F, G, right?
1: So when they leave that church, when they leave Keystone Church in Keller, Texas, it's not that he wants them to believe that Christ died for their sins. No. He wants them to believe that God
3: has a plan for them. That doesn't sound like the gospel at all. I mean some of us were like, dude, plan B was pretty good compared to the plan I'm in right now. But can I share with you, God has a hope and a future and somewhere along the way we lost those dreams. We we lost the ability to dare to dream, didn't we? And I'm reminded of this on a daily basis. Yeah,
1: that's the big sin that humanity suffers from. Yeah, your problem is you just aren't daring to dream. I had a dream within a dream. And but I dared not to dream because my plan A came to a crash, and so I, I, this pastor is now inspiring me to have hope in my new dream. Uh, th- that's the dream in plan B.
3: Basis because, see, I have preschoolers in my house, and my little boy Beck still dreams. He dreams of what he would be one day. As a matter of fact, this is, this is what he dreams of being. <laughs> Beck wants to be Batman when he grows up, or maybe even now. And on, and on the off days, he may not even want to be Batman. He'll just make up a superhero character like the the luchador. You know, I don't know. But uh, he... I promise you, I did not stage these pictures. He is our Peter Pan, full of imagination, full of dreams. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want Beck to show up at prom wearing his Batman outfit, Okay. But we giggle it back, but the truth is that many of us lost the ability to dream a long time ago. We we dreamed of the day when we would get married. I mean even my uh, Is it a sin to not dream? I'm curious. Little girls, when they watch Cinderella, as soon as it's, it's over, they go and they dress up like Cinderella and they dance around the house, so this is love, so this is love. Duh, 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 duh. And I'm like, Oh, you're gonna find out what love is. <laughs> it ain't that. <laughs> they dream they dare to dream many of us we giggle at our children dreaming but it reveals how once we dreamed that the dude that you're marrying was really you dreamed he was prince charming turned out to be the frog <laughs> you dream that this woman that you married would stay faithful to you and then you saw your plan a die a slow death You dreamed of a career where if you worked hard, you were faithful to the company, you put in your time, you committed yourself, so you gave a little extra, and you always said yes, but somewhere along the way, your plan A began to die, and people began to pass Yeah, sounds like you're a bunch of victims, yeah. ...you, and you wonder, where did that come from? Or maybe clinically, you're just like Michelle, where that that tragic day where you got the news the news that made you want to reach out and grab a hold of something, the news that, I don't know if you've had this experience, I have, where the room seems to shake, but there's no earthquake. You feel dizzy, but it's the dizziness of disappointment. Listen, we've all been there. You know why? Because we're human. Today, if we could only just put our hearts around the reality of the death of plan A, But many of us, we we hold on and we hold on to something that is long gone. And we try so hard to preserve an image that sometimes is not real. Let's open our hearts to the reality. Now in this whole series, this is one of those series, I don't say this all the time, but this is one of those series, you don't want to miss one week. You don't want to miss one week because today is just the foot in the door, literally. Next week, we're going to talk about how to wrestle with God through these hard places. You now, many of you, that seems like almost sacrilegious to wrestle with anger with God. Let me tell you, we're going to teach you how to do it. Not only that, we're going to teach you that it's important to do it. And it's very important how you do it. We're going to talk about that next week. But listen to this. The next week, we're going to talk about how to rediscover your God-given optimism. God wants you to dream again. God wants How to
1: rediscover your God-given optimism. I had no idea I was an optimist by nature. No clue. Wow, what a great biblical No
3: wait, this isn't biblical. What is this guy doing? You to think big. God wants you to have hope filling your heart. This series is really really important. Before we get on to all that other stuff, double black diamond skiing down the moguls. We've got to start really, really basic. Let's just take a break and open our eyes to the reality of exactly what is happening in our lives. What is happening in our lives? The, Bi- the Bible says in Proverbs 13 12, the Bible says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but dream fulfilled is a tree of life.
1: Oh, so a dream fulfilled, that's the tree of life, not the cross. A dream fulfilled. Oh, man. Again, notice all the passages taken out of context.
3: Dream fulfilled is a tree of life. Well, of course. Oh, yeah, man. I love the dreams fulfilled. What if every dream you have would just be fulfilled, man? That's life. But what do you do when hope is deferred? When you have an image of your life and it's not happening now. Have you ever felt like your life was in the waiting room? That's not a place you want to be. The waiting room is not a fun place. There's no video games in the waiting room. It's stress, and it's hard, and it's filled with anxiety. You feel like your life is in the waiting room. God says, I want to step into that waiting room today. Can I make a promise to you? We will not give you three points in a poem and send you on your way. Today, our promise to you is we will not give you three steps of therapy to manage your misery. That is not what we give you today just steps of managing your misery. Our passion for you today is that you find healing in this house. God did not come to give you tools to manage your pain. God wants to heal you of your pain. And God says, man, sometimes your hope is deferred, and that's making your heart... What is the,
1: Who is this God that he's talking about? Because when you read the biblical passages in context...
3: This doesn't sound anything like the God of the Bible. This sounds more like a genie. But can I tell you, I can give you something that can withstand the deepest of the storms. So today, like all of the hours before you, we're having an unbelievable weekend here at Keystone Church. Today, you will be given the opportunity to open the door of faith in your life and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Can I tell you, that's where it all begins. I'm giving away my conclusion right here. Is here. All-
1: so apparently you're going to be given the opportunity to open up the door of faith in your life, you know, to receive Jesus, make a decision for him. The details about which Jesus matter in this particular case and the, the details regarding the gospel that he's preaching uh, m- matter immensely in this sermon
3: okay right here right now that's right you can clap for that i like that (laughs) today today just like michelle i remember the day that michelle was sitting in your seat i didn't know her story but i remember at the end of the service when she raised her hand and she invited christ into her life i remember that and i remember this past easter When she was baptized. I remember that. Listen, I've talked to Michelle about this weekend. She's nervous. Can I tell you something? You may be nervous too. Because today's your day to raise your hand. Today may be your day, though you didn't plan on it, to go be baptized. About half of our baptisms all weekend long have been totally, utterly spontaneous. I think half of them have been first-time guests. This is not just for the keystoners. This is for anyone who finds life in Christ to take that step of belief because we're not here to give you three points in a poem. We're here for you to taste and see that God is good and God wants to heal your life. But here's the deal. You've got to awaken to the death of your expectations. You see, my wife is a biblical counselor, and she has this synd-
1: I got awakened to the death of my expectations. I mean, do you got a verse that says that?
3: That she calls Christmas Day Syndrome. You know what Christmas Day Syndrome is? It's, it's that syndrome where you have this image in your mind of how everything should be, right? And then it doesn't go quite like that. The best way I can kind of explain Christmas Day Syndrome is to show it to you, okay? So check this out. This is a good picture of... <laughs> Christmas Day syndrome. This turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in
5: for a very big treat.
1: (laughs) Save the neck. Griswold family Christmas. What does this have to
3: do
5: with the Bible? For me, Clark. (laughs) Okay, Eddie.
0: (laughs) <laughs> sorry
4: why are you crying I told you we put it in too early Ooh, it's just a little dry it's
0: fine I
3: here's the heart I love that isn't that a great movie wait maybe I shouldn't recommend that movie in church I don't know but it's great <laughs> here's the truth we feel just like that we have this image of of the christmas traditions and the way that it should all go and everybody is going to be well behaved everything's going to be just perfect and then the turkey explodes the kids are fist fighting in the back my 3 year old is food fighting at the table i mean this is the way things go and you have basically and uh, two options that i see often in in among christ followers or or those that don't know Jesus alike, often we will take two extreme reactions. We will ignore the reality that all is not well. You know, we'll just pretend like, oh, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. We don't discuss such things. (laughs) Or we'll judge reality. We'll judge reality. I've come to find out in our current culture the judging reality is a little more. I mean, is he just making up problems that supposedly Christianity fixes? Prevalent than ignoring reality, we judge reality. The the there was a an author who actually wrote a book called Plan B, and that's the that's where I got the inspiration for the title of this series. So I contacted him. His name's Pete. So it
1: wasn't a biblical author. Got it. Okay, so you were inspired for the sermon series from just a guy who wrote a book. mm Hmm.
3: Pete Wilson wrote a book, Plan B. You ought to go get it. Great pastor in Nashville. Great guy. Well, Pete tells the story of how he was uh, basically had a day alone with his three boys. He has three boys. And what he says about his three boys, maybe you can relate to, have you ever had someone come up to you and, after keeping your kids or whatever, and they say, your kids are awesome, so well-behaved, amazing. I mean, they are so well-behaved. He he confesses he's never once had somebody say that to him. (laughs) Never once, Overflow, never. Never once. So he had a time alone with his kids, and he was a little freaked out about that. And so he actually began to medicate them with fruit chews. You know what I'm talking about? Subdue them. Like the, the minute they began to act up, he just tossed some fruit chews, and they'd eat them, and they'd be okay. Well, eventually he realized that he was about to send them into a diabetic coma. And so he cut them off. Well, you know what that did. If you're a parent, you know what that did. It sent them even into a worse tizzy and they began to freak out. Well, one of the kids really began to freak out. I want my fruit juice. I want my fruit juice. And then he did the unthinkable. He dropped the ultimate bomb to any dad. I want my mommy. Now, when I'm in those situations, God speaks to me <laughs> with judgment and wrath, okay? No, really, God spoke to him. He says, he says, God spoke to me, and what God told him is he doesn't really want mommy. He wants what he thinks mommy will bring him.
1: And all that, apparently God spoke to him to tell him that, okay? So this counts as the Bible reading time now because, well, Pete Wilson heard from God, and we relayed what God told Pete Wilson, so that's all good for us to know, too.
3: So he thinks mommy will just keep on feeding him fruit juice. Some of us were quick to rush to judgment about God. We give him the Heisman because we're just not getting our fruit chews. But what if, what if God is a loving God, and all-powerful God, but he sees things differently than you do? What if he is the parent in this relationship? What if we're just wanting our fruit chews? Don't ignore, don't judge reality. Let's come to terms with reality biblically. And what we begin to understand is that crisis awakens us to the reality that all is not well, that God will actually take crisis and use it to awaken us to the reality that all is not well. That is the story of Keystone Church. So many of you have made your way into this room because this is the last place you came. This is your last ditch effort before you sign the papers of divorce. This is it. This is your Hail Mary. Hail Mary others of you you've had crisis, shattered dreams or chronic problems and you came into this room thinking maybe this, maybe this. Listen, bless you. Listen. <laughs> you have a sneezing problem and Now here's the truth, man. God wants to step into your world. Crisis awakens us to the reality that all is not well. And that is the message of the Bible. Historically, if you go back to the very beginning, I'm not talking three chapters past the very first words of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, it was an idyllic existence. Everything was okay. There was no hurt. There were no hurricanes. There were no tsunamis. There, were no, there was no conflict. There was no crime, no prisons, no barbed wire, no bombs. None of that. No conflict. Great relationships, Genesis 1 and 2. But then Genesis 3 came, and we learned that our very first family took a bite of the forbidden fruit. And it sent a shockwave of brokenness and sin all over God's creation, over every square inch of God. Now, this sounds like there's some
1: hope here that we might actually hear the biblical gospel. But watch what happens with this. It's
3: as if someone took a hammer to a mirror and it shattered all over the floor. You cannot glue that thing back together, can you? Try as you might. You might try to put the pieces back together, but it'll never look the same. Well, God is God and he can do things we can't. God is the only one who can restore and renew that mirror. And so what did he do? The Bible teaches that he sent his son to make all things new. He
1: sent his son to make all things new. What about die on the cross for our sins? Yes, it's true. Jesus is going to make all things new on the day he returns in judgment, when he creates the new heavens and the new earth.
3: Okay. And today, that's the message for you. The message is not that bad things won't happen if you love Jesus. That if you love Jesus, you'll be wealthy. That if you love Jesus, you'll never get sick. No, the message of God is that in your sickness, I visited you. That in your disappointment, I knocked on the door. The message of Jesus, the message of God. Why aren't you preaching this
1: from a biblical text? If that's what the message of the Bible is, I'm sure if you were just reading through and teaching from a text in context, it would say all of that,
3: right? God, as I saw you broken and beaten down, listen, this is all over the Old Testament, it's all over the New Testament, the message of God is, in crisis, you've revealed the reality and awakened to the reality that all is not well. Historically, we see all over the Bible, we have a sin problem, we have a brokenness problem.
1: Yes, we have a sin problem,
3: yes, There's brokenness all over everything, but God didn't leave us in that brokenness. God sent his son to be the great healer. When we see Jesus walking among the people, what is he doing? He sees blindness, he heals it. He sees brokenness, he cures it, he heals it. He sees death, he raises it back to life again. Why? Because he's the healer. And today, rather than giving you three great methods to manage your misery, Our passion is that you could have an encounter with the healer.
1: Uh, So so Jesus is going to heal my broken dreams? Huh?
3: You could have an encounter with Jesus. It sounds crazy, but some of you, you've walked into this room skeptical. You know, you've had enough disappointment in your life. You're not really believing. You just came because of a friend. But already you begin to hear God (laughs) knocking on the door of your heart. That's a miracle. Really? What's that sound like again? Some of you, the fact that you're in this hot room right now, that's a miracle. (laughs) Some of you in the overflow right now, God's speaking to you in the overflow. That's a miracle. Right now, God just may be proving that the reality that all is not well may be awakening you to the possibility of a new life.
0: What?
1: This is what happens when you don't preach the Bible in context. You can just make up anything, blame it on God, and call it Christian.
3: To the possibility of a new life. You see, the Bible is crystal clear all over the Bible that there's basically two reactions to the reality that all is not well. You either try to take hold of your life or you give up your life. In other words, you try to grab it or you try to give it up. And today, you'll make one of those two decisions today.
1: Yeah, you said the Bible's crystal clear about that. Why don't you show me some of those crystal clear passages that say this?
3: You'll either grab your life or you're going to give it up today. I'm I'm very simple here. I'm not trying to confuse you. Too late. With all this biblical knowledge. Listen, it's...
1: (laughs) Yeah, you... You haven't given me enough biblical knowledge to do anything, let
3: alone confuse me with it. It's real simple. You ready? You either grab your life or you give it up. That's where it comes down to today. I'll, I'll show you in Scripture. Luke chapter 9, Jesus said in verse 24, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. Out of uh, context again. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Matthew 6.33 says, seek the kingdom of God above all else live righteously and he'll give you no 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 <laughs> matthew
1: six thirty three says seek first the kingdom of god and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you it doesn't say what you're saying it says it says something different you're turning that into a law passage and
3: it's a gospel passage do everything you need everything you need you see God, in Genesis chapter 3, sent his son Jesus Christ to die the death we were destined to die to pay the price we could not afford to pay, took our place on the cross. Yes, he did. What, can you give me some of the details of that, please? See, sin is a killer. Every other major world philosophy or religion will tell you how to work your way back to God, how to pray your way back to God, how to Pay your way back to God. But God doesn't say that. Some of y'all think that's exactly what the Bible says. If I'm going to be a Christian, I need to live better. If I'm going to be a Christian, I need to pray more. If I need to be a Christian, I need to give to the church. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you don't work your way to God. The Bible says God worked his way to you. You do not
1: work your way. I know this sounds like the gospel, but what did he work his way to me for again?
3: approval to god god works so that you can be approved to him and this is how he did it while we were still sinners the bible says while we were still sinners christ died for us yes and the details of that are what christ died for us at just the right time at just the right time well right now may be your right time to open up the door of your life to Jesus Christ, because here is the thing: Matthew seven twenty four. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid. Isn't
1: it weird that he just said that? You know, every other religion teaches you have to work your way, work your way, but you know, and then he then turns around and t- says
3: all these things you've got to do. Weird. Solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise, and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Can I tell you, some of you are imprisoned to your circumstances. You are. Right now, your happiness is totally dependent on your circumstances. You live your life hoping that someone will approve of you, maybe a spouse, maybe a boss. You live your life hoping that someone will approve of you, that that someone will find pleasure in you. Man, you are in prison to your circumstances. And here's the crazy thing. Your circumstances are the one thing you can't control. You can't control that, but we try. When I was uh, 16 years old, I did my driver's test, right, to try to, you know, get some wheels, (laughs) make some deals, you know. And so I was taking the driver's test. I aced the test, the academic side. Then I went out. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, I failed. Stop judging. Some of you failed too. So here's the thing. I'm in the parking lot. I I had aced the test. I'm in the parking lot, and I'm driving like I'm going so slow I could be driving Miss Daisy. All right. I'm in the parking lot, and this kid just jumps out right in front of my car. The driver instruction was a nervous man. The instructor was a nervous man, and. And as soon as that kid raced out in front of me, he did what? He did the unthinkable. He grabbed the wheel of my car with my hands on it. And my reaction was not spirit filled. I turned to him and I said, Hey, man, I got it, dude. 16 years old. He flunked me on the spot. I didn't even get to Parallel Park had to go take it again the walk of shame to my friends no keys you know what some of us right now you're telling God I got it I got it I don't need you I don't need advice I don't need Brandon tell me this I don't need the Bible I got it let me ask you a question how's that working for you how's that working for you now I love you listen I love you I've been praying for you I don't even know your name I've been praying for you. We have built this church for you. Can I tell you that? People give up incredible amounts of money for you. They've given up bigger houses, nice boats, bigger cars. They've given up all that kind of stuff. Some people have given up amenities for you. There are people sitting in the overflow for you right now. There are people that have given up their seats so that first-time guests could come into this house are sitting out there so that you could have this experience. Can I tell you, right now, I love you, but I love you enough to tell you the truth. Here's the deal. All of us are sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every last one of us. And guess what? You know what we need? We need once everybody else walks out of the room, we need God to walk in. You know, crisis does awaken us to the reality that all is not well, but then what are you going to do about that? Do you keep your hand on the wheel? If you do, you know what you're doing? You're shrinking your life to the size of your life. If you keep your hands on the wheel, you're shrinking.
1: What? I'm shrinking the, my life to the size of my life?
3: Huh? Life to the size of your life. You, you're never going to have an opportunity to be challenged to do greater and bigger and greater things. Again, how's that? Oh, no. that working for you? God says that, in order for you to receive life, I feel like i 'm petitioning God for a promotion at work. Please God pick me for the promotion, please you 've got to let go. listen, if you 've got a, an armful of groceries that you 're bringing in your life, and you think that 's going to feed you for the rest of your life. Let me tell you something you can 't receive something when your hands are full you can't you, you have no more room you 're holding on so tight you can 't receive something. While your hands are full, only when your hands are what? Empty. Let's read it again. What did the Bible say? The Bible says, Luke 9, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. God says.
1: This is like one string of Christian evangelical C- cliches after another, just string together, not even Bible verses, just one Christian cliche strung after another cl- Chris- Christian cliche, as if somehow this constitutes Bible teaching. I haven't learned anything about the Bible.
3: Let go. Let God. Let God redefine happiness for you. Let God give you a strength that will, that will, that will endure the greatest of storms. We are not a people who are merely content to be tossed about by the storm of circumstances. God wants to give you an inner strength that is built on his son. As I just said, God wants to walk into the room where everyone else is left. You know, the Bible says that God is knocking. Revelation 3.20, he says, look I stand at the... No,
1: Revelation 3.20 is Jesus saying he's outside the door of the church of Laodicea. Read it in context. It's not saying what you're saying. Good night. I mean, seriously, it's like the Bible bingo. You know, just put a verse on on a ping pong ball and have it spit them out randomly and then try to
3: preach a sermon just with those verses out of context. Door and knock. If you'll hear my voice, let's just stop right there. If you'll hear my voice, some of you, you can't hear the voice of God because there's so many other voices in your house. Have you ever been like that? Where you're like having a birthday party or something, UPS man is like ringing your doorbell off. You can't hear him because it's so loud in the house. Some of you, there's so many other voices that are speaking into your life right now. You can't hear the voice of God. And crisis will sometimes unlock life change because all the other voices have left. The house becomes empty.
1: Yeah, so crisis will unlock life change because the other voices leave and then you can finally hear God. So God's like, you know, the last person at the party
3: or something. Uh Strangely quiet. Have you ever been there? In a quiet room when everybody else has walked out? God says, when everybody else has walked out, I'm walking in. Because then you can hear him knocking. What does he say? If you hear my voice, open the door, I'll come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. He does not say, if you'll let me in the door of your house, I'll guilt you to death. He does not say, if you'll let me into the door of your house. Now, this, here's the thing. This scripture was written to sinners, saved, unsaved, lost found it doesn't matter if you sin this is for you if you will open the door of your life god wants to come in and he doesn't want to guilt you to death he doesn't want to yeah
1: where again does it say i need to open the door of my life um in context where
3: does it say that bore you to death you know what he wants to do dine with you in other words i mean if you let me in i will cook up some sweet daddy filet mignon I have some Bob's Steak and Chop House to go. And I'm bringing it with me. If you'll just open the door, we will dine as friends. God's goal for you is not, is not religion or ritual. God's goal for you is relationship. Some of the greatest times I've had with friends are shared over a meal. God wants to eat. Hang.
1: So he wants to come over for dinner. Okay, I'll put another play setting on the table.
3: Walk, live, engage, inspire, inform. God wants to live with you. Can you hear him knocking? Let's go back to Jeremiah 29. He said in this, you'll be in Babylon, verse 10, for 70 years. He knows you're about to go through hell. He's not obliv- That's not written to me. That's written to the Jews who
1: are going into Babylon after being sacked by Nebuchadnezzar because God was judging them for their idolatry. to it, He sees your pain.
3: We don't ignore that here at Keystone Church. But then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised. I will bring you home again. For I know, you may not know, But I know the plans I have for you. Do you know God sees your potential, though you do not see it? I know.
1: Really, God sees my potential. (laughs) Wow.
3: Yeah, I'm sure he's underwhelmed by that. The plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12. You haven't heard this yet. In those days when you pray, in those days in in slavery, in those plays, days away from home, in those days of misery, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me, and I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity, restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. In other words, can you hear them knocking?
1: Isn't it weird that when he reads it in more of the context of that passage, you sit there and go, it doesn't sound like he's talking to me. I mean, notice he's allegorizing the the bad situation that the Jews were in at that time. And somehow that's supposed to be talking about, well, my life circumstances. It's not.
3: Can you hear him knocking? You know, I'm into grilling these days. It's kind of a new thing. Um, I, I don't know why it took me so long. But I've got this little baby grill, my father-in-law would say. It's like baby. It's like training wheels. It's like green slopes, you know? So i got this little baby grill. But I'm out there, man. I am giving it my best. And one of the craziest things I've learned is every one of you that grills, you have your own little secret sauce and secret formula, don't you? Because I've discovered the secret of marinade. Marinade. Think about marinating is that you apply marinade, it's got to have some acidity to it. You apply that marinade to the piece of meat, and the acidity is there to break down the strength, the toughness of the meat. The acidity is there to kind of get through the first defenses so that it can unlock flavor into, into the meat. Well, many of us, rather than marinating on the presence of God, you're marinating in your misery. Oh, no.
1: Misery marinade doesn't sound tasty to me. I hope the Bible has a cure for that. I mean, what am I supposed to do with this sermon at this point? Like I said, it's like one long string of bad uh, Christian cliches after another. This isn't a coherent biblical teaching at all. I feel like I'm being
3: browbeaten by fortune cookies. In, In your misery. And I don't know anybody who thinks that's a good idea. I don't know anybody who says, yeah, Brian, I just got back from a a misery vacation. It was awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I try to do it once a year, you know. I just go back and relive all the bad things that have happened to me, try to create some new bad memories. (laughs) That doesn't happen, does it? But you know what? We laugh at that, but some of you live just like that. You marinate in your misery. You stay stuck. You're shrinking your life to the size of your life. You have your hands on the wheel. Your hands are full. You can't receive. (laughs) And now he's stringing them all together quickly. Quick, Jesus, take the wheel. Listen, you're losing your life. You're losing your life. You think that your loneliness will be cured by going into this relationship and that relationship and dumping that relationship and trying this new relationship. God says, no, 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 no. Relationship is built on the inside, and I want to give you utter satisfaction. You think that, that your, your marinade is, is money. Money, 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 money. You think your marinade is money, so, so you'll do this and you'll do that and you'll cut this and you'll cut that and you'll, you'll build this and you'll build that. But, but how many times do we have to hear about the miserable millionaire before we finally get it that your marinade is not meant to be money? Your marinade. My passion for you today is that you marinate in the man, the man Jesus Christ, the presence of God. And here's the thing. So I need a
1: Jesus marinade. Can somebody outline this sermon for, I have no idea what you, I'm seriously, what is he
3: even saying? I right now want to bring, I want to bring some acidity to the conversation. I I want to deliver a hard truth. This pastor is about to bring you some acid. I bet you never heard that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Brandon gave us acid. It was awesome. It was a trip. Kind of sounded weird, didn't it? <laughs> Here's the truth. Somewhere in this room, there's someone who has it tougher than you, and they're doing better than you. Somewhere in this room, somebody has it worse than you, but they're happier than you. If you say, uh-uh, then you're marinating in your misery, because I promise you, somewhere in this room, somewhere in the overflow, somebody has it worse than you. They've been dealt a harder hand, and they're happier. Now, that's some hard truth, but I want to share that with you to reveal to you that you're perpetuating a cycle of brokenness. And today, I want to ask you to experience release. I'm going to beg you to let go.
1: Uh, of what?
3: I'm going to ask the band to come on out.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> what, what was this sermon about? I don't know what this sermon
3: Phil, Brian, Josiah, the guys, everybody. I'm just going to get real simple here. I've been telling you the whole time what's coming. Here we are. Really,
1: you're going to get real simple. This whole sermon has been anything but. And it's not even biblical. I mean, it's just one string of weird thoughts after another.
3: Right now, I'm going to ask you to release.
1: Cue sappy music. Oh, great. Now he wants me to release something. So I can experience release. Whatever that means. Control. Release control. I'm releasing control. Don't go into the light.
3: The first step of this journey. The very first step is the most important step. Okay. Oh, I'm gonna tell you how to be optimistic, how to dream dreams. I'm gonna tell you how to how to I can hardly wait. To live big even despite your circumstances. We'll talk about how to wrestle through the hard things and face it head on. We're gonna talk, you're gonna walk out of this series stronger. No doubt about it. The, all your friends. How is that possible? We'll look at you and say, how did this happen?
1: Just the same. Yeah, right. They're going to ask, how did this happen? Before you started going to that church, you used to be capable of of at least having coherent conversations and having lucid
3: thoughts. And now you no longer can do that. Same amazement that you heard from Michelle, where you hear her story. Listen, we've got more stories. We have more stories. Yeah, because that's what we need. We need more stories. The same amazement that you hear from her story, you'll hear it week after week after week. But it begins with life change. Be- and I thought Christianity
1: begins with repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And then it's daily repentance and forgiveness of sins. What is
3: this? begins with life change. Release control.
1: Of what?
3: So Romans- How do I do that? I mean,
1: uh, God, I'm um, okay. I'm releasing control now. Um, I have no idea what that means or what it looks like, but my pastor said to do it, so... Okay. I, I, I'm i releasing control now.
3: Romans chapter 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. get don't get much simpler than that. You say, really? Can you
1: explain any of that in context, please?
3: Really? It's that easy? Yeah, it's that easy. You know why? Because God did all the work. What
1: work? Why did God need to do work? What work are you talking about?
3: Right now, God's speaking to some of you. He is Really? What is he saying? Knocking on the door! He's jamming the doorbell, and he's saying, life change is an option for you. Can I
1: tell you already this week? So God's knocking on the door and saying, life change is an option for me. Sounds like a door-to-door salesman. i slammed slam the door on his face.
3: This weekend, we, <laughs> life change. I'm going to walk you through that scripture. I'm going to lead you to pray with me to begin a new journey of life. It's really simple. It's like a childlike journey and then at the end of that prayer, I'm going to count to three and I'm not doing that, I, I'm, not, I'm just counting to three because I know this is a big decision, some of you need to build up the courage to do the very first thing and that is, if you prayed with me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand like a child reaching up for the hand of a new father saying, here I am daddy, I'm, I'm not lost anymore. At the end of that count of three, I'm expecting like in the previous two services for some pretty big studly dudes. Like last hour, one of the biggest dudes on this campus, both fists clenched, tears streaming down his cheek. You better be crying, you big
1: men out there, because it's not real life change if you didn't cry like the uh,
3: Brandon Thomas told you to, man. And then he at the end of our service stepped up went into the lobby and was baptized and i'm counting on that happening that being your story maybe you didn't come here planning on that but that's what we're going to offer for you today because we're not here for three points in a poem we're not here to manage your misery we're here for true healing so
1: Uh three points in a poem might actually be
3: better than this we just have a moment bow your heads close your eyes Just bow your heads and close your eyes to give respect to the people around you where God is moving in a powerful, powerful way.
1: Really, he is, so okay.
3: God is knocking on the door of your heart right now. Would you pray with me? That's right. He's a door-to-door salesman offering you
1: uh, some life change. It'll only cost you 10% of your gross annual income.
3: In your heart, out loud, however you want to do it. I'm going to walk you through the scripture and it begins this way. Just repeat after me God, I've messed up. I've messed up. Would you pray that? I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I have pain. I'm hurt. Would you pray that? I've messed up. I've sinned. Or I have pain. I'm hurt. I'm in need of healing. I need somebody to help me.
1: Help. I've fallen and I can't get up. Jesus, will you pick me up?
3: And I'm coming to you. Would you pray that? I believe God's already moving on some of you. Don't be afraid. Take this leap of step, this leap of faith. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to get distracted right now. God, I've messed up. I'm hurting.
1: You know this reminds this reminds me of the wedding scene from The Princess Bride. And you know and at the end of it she says, you know, I, I you know, were you married? She says, "Well, some man said man and wife. Man and wife, so I'm married." You know, okay, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I serious, what is this?
3: I need your help. Second, this is a prayer of faith. Are you ready for this? I believe God you did the unthinkable, you stepped into my pain.
1: Okay, so God stepped into my pain. Uh, that's unthinkable, apparently. I I'm glad he did it though, yeah. You sent your son Jesus to die for my sin. Would you pray that? God, I Yeah, and you haven't explained any of that using a coherent, lucid, in-context passage. I don't even know what you're talking about. I
3: believe you sent your son Jesus to die for my sin. and then god i don't i don't have it all figured out i can't explain it but i'm yeah i can't explain it
1: because the pastor made no sense I, but you know it apparently i just need to experience this who need, who needs lucid thought you know i'm putting all the chips in that G- so i'm going to put all my chips in now right after i release control of the something so that you can take the wheel and and, and, and knock on the door so that I can open up to life change. I, I, again, I don't know what
3: any of this means. Jesus Christ conquered death, came back to life to give me new life. Would you pray that? I believe Jesus conquered death. Pray that. Came back to life to give me new life. Did you know the Bible says that when you invite God into the room of your life the Bible says that you have resurrection power that the same power that raised Christ from the grave is available for your marriage for your attitudes for your you really got any
1: verses so the resurrection power is now available for my marriage my attitude what else is it available for really I'd never seen this in the Bible Emotions for your relationships for your career so I need resurrection power that is that like tied you know with like the extra whitening power? So that's now available for all kinds of things in my life now okay
3: God I believe I received that resurrection power today would you come into the room of my life and then pray this God make me new
1: Okay so I need to be made new too okay check that off yeah Can you make any sense of this?
3: Make me new right now God I believe God is moving in a powerful way in your life right now. And if you just prayed that with me, I'm going to count to three, and at the end of three, I want those of you still heads bowed, eyes closed, who have prayed with me to protect the privacy of those around you, to raise your hand at the count of three. One. Two. If you just prayed for me, if you prayed with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm about to get to that number three. If God's telling you to do something, you raise that hand like a child reaching up for the hand of his daddy, her daddy. Three, hands up everywhere. That's right, all over this room. Keep them up. This is your moment. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Again, every age represented, every race, socioeconomic backgrounds, I'm sure of it. We're all one in this room right now, God. Hands up saying, I'm reaching up for the hand of a father. I didn't expect this today, but I don't need therapy to man. Yeah, I just need the theological confusion to save me. That's all I need. It's my misery right now. I need Jesus. And I prayed to ask him into my life. You can put your hands down. Now, here's what I want to do. If you just prayed with me. There's a card in your seat. You can fill that out. And then what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to sing over you.
1: So, and this is a song. So now they're going to sing over them. You know, the weird part is is that at the end of this, I mean, everybody thought there was a whole bunch of people saved, but I don't know what they were saved from exactly.
3: Song That'll really mean something to you if you just prayed with me. This This will mean something to you if you've been there, done that. If you've got a story, you've got a past, you've got some pain. God's saying, come with me. Some point in the song, we're going to stand up to our feet. When we do, I'm going to ask you to take your new you card and go out into the lobby. The only people that should be moving are these people right here. Go into the lobby, and I'm going to ask you to take the first step of surrender. Get baptized today. You can go in the very back door. So. Right after you uh, let go um, And
1: then you surrender Because God's knocking and saying He needs some life change Or needs to offer you some life change The first thing you do is you go and get baptized Because that's the first thing of surrender
3: Uh, Okay When we stand The very back door in the back of the room Otherwise you'll walk right into the Into the overflow Go in the very back door When we all stand and you go out there, you be baptized. Listen, if you're a Christ follower and you've never been biblically baptized, this isn't about how you were baptized as an infant or as a baby. That was different. We celebrate that. This is different. This is not your mama's religion. This is between you and God. I'm expecting many of us.
1: What is it then? Can you give me a biblical
3: passage for what this particular baptism is about? When we stand up to walk out, we have everything you need. We've got a change of clothes. We have dark clothes for you. We've got... I had someone say, man, I didn't expect to do this. I was having the perfect hair day. I said, well, you're about to get in holy water. Imagine what your hair's going to look like now.
2: Yeah.
3: I talked to her afterwards. She said, you're right. I'm feeling pretty good. We have deodorant, which is a good idea for some of you. You're not too big. You're not too tough. So I got life-changing deodorant. Okay. We baptize bigger than you. Don't think about everybody else. But I want this to be a full experience for you. Don't leave here wanting anything. Let God speak to you.
1: Okay. So that's the end of the sermon. Death of Plan A. Um can, can you make any sense out of that? I I mean seriously, I, I'm thinking that we need to send uh Brandon Thomas back to like catechism class or something. He I don't think he knows the basics of the Christian faith like at all. That was just one string of incoherent sentences uh you know christian slogans bumper stickers all thrown in you know surrender take the wheel there's a there's jesus at the door knocking he wants life change and then you need the first step of surrender with uh, water and baptism we celebrate infant baptism but this is a baptism between you and god i don't know what any of this meant where did this guy go to seminary uh, who <laughs> Who let this guy into the you know to the pastoral role? I mean, I don't think he knows what Christianity is, what it teaches, or what his job is as a pastor to you know to preach the word and people were sitting there going, "Come on and preach it but i over what what did any of it mean and I'm sure at the end of the day they're celebrating all these people that are now Christians- what exactly made them Christians? i were they brought to repentance of their sins and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? He mentioned the cross. He said something about sin. But, folks, i got to tell you, as convoluted as that is, um, that's kind of an average sermon for many churches nowadays. They hear stuff like this all the time. How do you know? How do I know? I preview hundreds of sermons a month. This was just your garden variety nonsensical sermon, which there's a lot of those nowadays. I don't think this guy's qualified to teach. I don't think he's he meets the biblical qualifications because Scripture says that a pastor is to be able to teach that's wh- that which is in accord with sound doctrine and refute those who contradict it. I, I mean, this didn't rise to the level of doctrine, let alone sound doctrine. I don't think he knows what Christianity teaches. There was no indication here whatsoever that he has any concept of what the central uh, central meaning of the Scripture is, how sinners are brought to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, what Jesus did on the cross, um. This whole plan B, death of plan A thing, I have no clue what that was about. I mean, this is just bumper sticker Christianity gone to seed. And this is what passes today for Christian preaching. I mean, seriously, the poverty of this sermon, I can't express it in words. I mean, if... If we were to you know, compare, I mean, seriously, I mean, if we were to just put this into economics, you know, uh, you know, kind of things here, this guy is penniless, literally penniless, spiritually, biblically, doctrinally penniless. And yet, if we were to put it into, you know, economic terms, a pastor needs to be able to not be penniless, but to dole out the cash. He's got to have a big supply, and that cash from, comes from Christ and from His Word. But this guy has no clue where to go, what to say, what to do. <sighs> I wow. Okay, so I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, my email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.